Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Lisa Stone and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Season 11 of the Parenting Aces podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We're so thrilled to have you back with us for a new season, a new year, and lots of great knowledge and information, I hope, uh, that we're going to bring you over these next several months. We are kicking off 2022 with Dean Hollingworth, who was our most watched podcast of 2021. And so it's just fitting that he should be our kickoff episode for 2022 and season 11. Dean is a fitness specialist. He's based in Canada. And the reason I keep bringing him back is because every time he's on the podcast, he shares such valuable, actionable information with us and really practical information that your junior players can implement right away to see improvement in their fitness, their flexibility, their movement, and their on and off court performance. So I hope you enjoy this week's podcast with Dean. Before I bring him on, I just want to remind you, if you haven't become a premium member of Parenting Aces yet, we'd love to have you join us. Just go to parentingaces.com, click on the join button, and you'll be good to go. We are also offering through our online shop, not only Parenting Aces merch, but also our consults that you can purchase on an a la carte basis now. So if you have need to sit down with me via Zoom for an hour or more if necessary to talk about various aspects of your child's junior tennis development, college recruiting, or anything relating to tennis in general, you can book those through our online shop on parentingaces.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dean Hollingworth. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dean, welcome back to the podcast. You were our number one podcast of 2021 of season 10, and now we're kicking off season 11. It's early in the year, but what better way to get things going you know, hardcore than with talking about off-court training and fitness in our young athletes. I'm so thrilled to have you back. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I am shocked that uh, the podcast that we did together on fitness was number one. I'm completely humbled by it and so excited and honored. Thank you so much for having me back. 
And thank you so much for what you do for, for tennis and, and the parents and the junior athletes. Thank you. Uh, of course, of course, back at you. And, you know, we get lots and lots of questions at Parenting Aces about what kids should be doing off the court to improve their fitness, to reduce their chance of getting injured and all of those sorts of things. And every time you are my go-to guy. So um, I'm excited for people to get to see you and hear you. And for those of you listening to this on one of the podcast apps, as opposed to watching it on our YouTube channel or on our website, um, I hope you'll check out the visual part of it because Dean's got some great info to share with us this week. Yeah, I have a nice presentation uh, planned. And as we just discussed prior to going on air, I want 20, I would like for 2022 to be the best physical fitness year for, for our junior athletes listening out there in terms of becoming stronger, more powerful, more resilient, and, you know, prevent preventive injuries, uh, ha- having the athletes be healthy throughout the year, the year. One of the things that really upsets me is when I see a young boy or girl sitting on the sidelines and watching their friends, their, their teammates play. And, you know, because it's, they're lacking in, in the area of, of, of strength and, and mobility and flexibility and things that most likely can be, can be uh, avoided. Listen, I understand sports. You're going to have injuries. There's no doubt about that stuff happens, Mm -hmm. but some of it, so much of it can be preventive prevented. And, you know, this is what I'm, I'm looking for, for 2022. How can we establish a nice outline for parents, for young athletes to follow and not only become better athletes, but become athletes with good longevity. And at the end of the podcast, I got a big announcement, which you know of that I'm going to make uh, for all our listeners. Yeah. So stay tuned. Don't, don't turn it off. (laughs) So I'm just going to switch over to my, um, onto my uh, PowerPoint here and we're going to get going. So as, as we see here, improving on-court athleticism. And this is one of the things when I have a parent that calls me up or reaches out to me and says, hey, you know, my little boy, my little girl, we want them to get better, want to become better tennis players. And one of the first things, and I, I've probably said this so many times already, <clears throat> I'm not in the business of making better tennis players, but I'll tell you what, my heart is completely devoted to making a better athlete. And As you know, and so many of your listeners know, if you have a better athlete on the court, you are definitely going to have a better tennis player. So this first picture, you know, it's kind of leading, where is it leading us to? But what I liked about it is is from looking at these two feet, these two feet, it's so dynamic. You know, it's obviously someone's getting ready to move. And what I liked about it is, One of the things we want to do when we're talking about movement is we want to use the ground. We want to have a good base. We want to put our feet into good position. And it was very nice picture. So that's why I started with that. But that gets us into this this quote or this this portion of a study that came out in um, hmm, 2003, I think it was. This and if there's one thing anybody takes from this, this podcast today, this, this has to be it. 
80% of all strokes are played within 2.5 meters of the player's ready position. Think about that. 2.5 meters around the player is where 80% of the balls are going to come. Now, <clears throat> for me personally, that's where I want to focus so much of my attention. If I can create athletes that are just beasts within that bubble of theirs, being able to get there with efficiency and, and power, you're, you're going to win more games. I promise you're going to win more games than, than not and more matches. And then you see 10% of the strokes are you know, within 2.5 to 4.5 meters of movement. So we really want to develop that athlete um, to be efficient, an efficient mover within that, um, you know, 2.5 meter. So, you know, the legend himself, my game is, is a lot about footwork. If I move well, I play well. And, you know, if, if there's one thing I say to my athletes prior to the tournament, and I don't care if it's been a junior athlete or a pro player, move your feet. If you continue moving, I promise you will always be in the match. And yeah. that's what we want to do. <clears throat> so one of the things is... Uh, this I love this quote. The most dangerous phrase in our language is we've always done it this way. And <laughs> Ten tennis falls back on that quote quite a bit. Tennis falls really back on that quote. And what really what really got me stuck on this quote and where I find it hits home, it hits home quite a few times. But where I find it hits home the most is really the warm up, <laughs> you know, the warm up when we go, when I go to tournaments or if I have athletes from other clubs coming to train with me, the warm up is usually the same thing. It's sloppy. It involves a lot of jogging. It's not well done. There's, there's nothing within the warm up that really assists the athlete to becoming a better athlete or an athlete prepared for what's coming up, whether it's practice or a match. So what we're going to go, what we're going to do from this point onward is I'm going to go through the various areas of a training for a tennis player, fitness, and really describe what the focus should be and even give you some time limits and how much time you should be spending on each. See, and this is why I keep having you on, because you give <laughs> concrete, useful information that can be taken home and acted on like that. I love it. That, well, thank you. Because, you know, whether I'm on a podcast with you or I'm, I'm doing a, a lecture or a conference somewhere, I want every coach, every parent, every, every player to be able to take one or two things, just one or two things is already pretty huge and be able to implement it the next day mm -hmm. because that, that will really, you know, it'll motivate us. It's going to help us become better athletes and it's going to keep us moving forward. Having said that, I think one of the things parents can really take is you need to start setting up a schedule you know, for your fitness training. It's great that you have all your, your, your planned uh, privates with the coaches, group sessions, but you have to dedicate time to fitness just like you would towards tennis. I think that's one of the really essential points here is that if you don't start carving out 15, 20 minute blocks, and we're not talking like hours, 30 minute blocks, right. implementing, you know, the warm up, which will also include 
um, elements that will help athletic ability. Until then, then it's almost like you're just you're just shooting in the dark. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, we're not doing. Oh, it's too late. We got to go. Oh no, let's do an extra private this week. If you want to become a better athlete, you have to put the time into it because it's not going to be from running around always, you know, after a tennis ball, although that is the sport, you have to develop the different components of athleticism in order to assist you on the court. Well, our, our audience is very used to hearing me say we develop the athlete first and the tennis player next, right? So this is all about developing the athlete and our kids can be athletes forever. They may not can be tennis players forever, but they can be athletes, even if that is just walking, hiking, mm-hmm. swimming. You know, it doesn't have to be in a competitive sense, but their bodies have to be able to function. But, and you know what? Beautiful what you said there. A hundred percent. We don't, you know what I find with so many of the kids nowadays, anything that they're involved in, it's always organized with a coach, you know, find a soccer field, find that soccer pitch, put a ball out there, get, you know, 10 friends, just go play, go play, have a, have a great time, learn, let your body learn within the experience of the game Mm -hmm. and, and develop those reactive skills. Um, and I think that can go such, such a long way. And the other thing that you said in there, Lisa, is that tennis players want to always play tennis and it's always tennis with more tennis and more tennis. And I think the volume that we're implementing sometimes on our junior athletes tends to be too much. Um, you know, when you're always swinging a racket, how many times a day, how many serves, but if we can substitute a little bit of that with the fitness training, I think that that in itself would reduce injuries and also just by strengthening the body will help also implement uh, um, a better recovery and a better system for health. And, and let me just add to that, Dean, because yeah. I recently uh, attended a virtual conference talking about reducing injury in young athletes and optimal training load and optimal tournaments per year and training hours per day and per week and all of that. And, you know, the, the bottom line is more isn't better. (laughs) It's, you've got to find that sweet spot where you've got the, the optimal amount of training time that you're maximizing, that you're giving a hundred percent effort for that period of time. And then you're finished but the fitness has to go alongside that. It's not in lieu of tennis. It's alongside the tennis. They, mm-hmm. You have to do both. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, I hope parents heard that, that, you know, at four hours a day doesn't mean it's better than three hours a day. Because four hours a day at 70% of, of your work capacity it, it's not the way to go. I'd rather see an athlete train for two solid hours and, and call it a day as opposed to three hours and the last hours really dragging your butt. Because one thing parents really need to understand is that any movement is a learned movement. So if you're tired and you're starting to get messy, that's what the body's learning. It's not learning to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand that you know, you're going to be playing tired, but if you're trying to develop skills, don't develop a skill that's deteriorating and continue trying to learn that skill because you're not learning it properly. So um, like you said, hey, put in the time, 
hundred percent effort, when you start getting tired, come back the next day at it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. So I just wanted to share this because I think this is important. The performance pyramid, you know, it comes in three levels. There's the functional movement, there's the performance and the skill. The top of it is actually, you know, the smallest part. The skill is tennis. Let's look at the functional movement. One thing that it's really important for people to remember, for the parents to remember is, you know, it's, yes, everybody can move, but are we moving efficiently and are we moving properly? You know, um, it's one thing to be able to say, okay, show me athletic stance. But you know how many athletes can't get into those stance properly? Like they can't even find the position because they're lacking the hip or the ankle mobility. And then can you perform? Can you get in and out of those stance and perform the movement patterns? And, and that is the real functional base of the pyramid that I think we need to spend more time at developing. And it's not just by doing the exercises, but by a doing them properly being sure that the athlete has the proper mobility and stability to do those exercises. And once that's established, then we can go to the performance level and saying, okay, how can we start putting a big engine into this car and making a beast out of these, these athletes so they can be big performers on the, on the court by increasing strength and power. So, you know, do you have all the buckets? Are all the buckets full? You know, we have to have mobility, we have to have strength, we have to have power, and we have to have movement. And sometimes we tend to focus on one more than the other. And that will cause an imbalance in developing the athlete. And especially that first one, the mobility, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy when I see kids, especially when they start high school and, and, you know, they're growing, they're sitting a lot during the course of the day the hamstrings, the ankles, the, the, the hips. It's just for some kids, it's really crazy how much they're lacking in that. Mm -hmm. And if you're lacking in that, you're not going to be able to develop the power that you want because you can't create that elasticity. You won't be able to create the movement pattern that you want. And then if you just start building strength on that, then you start building a bigger problem. So we want, we're going to take a look at each one of these buckets. So mobility so when I'm saying mobility here, I'm looking at mobility. What I do with our junior players is, is the first five to 10 minutes, we work on mobility. They get down on the ground and we go through a whole mobility routine. And it doesn't have to be long. It's, it's five minutes. But we're really working on, on the various aspects, especially ankles, hips, and thoracic spine, which is the middle of the spine. Now, the reason why I put up this joint by joint concept is that it is critical and really something every, everybody should know about. If you're you know, an athlete or not, this is important. And if you notice, the body is, 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 a, is stacked, is just joints stacked on top of one mm -hmm. another. And they alternate between mobile and stable. So what's a mobile joint? So my wrist is a mobile joint because I can create circles. I can go back and forth and I can go side to side. Now, if I try doing that with my finger side to side, I'm probably going to break it. We don't want to do that right now. <laughs> but when you think about that, my, my, my um, wrist is really my ankle, you know, and then my knee would be my elbow. 
And then my hip is really my shoulder. So if we see here from, from the joint by joint concept, we need the ankles to be mobile. We need the knees to be stable and we need the hips to be mobile. Followed by the lower back and the upper back, again, stable, mobile. Now, I just, this, this could be talked about for, for hours, but I'm just going to say this. Here's the problem. When you get a mobile joint, let's take the hip because that's one of my favorite things. And it becomes more stable than mobile. That starts having an effect on the joint above or below, which mm-hmm. would be the lower back or the knee. So the body says to itself, hmm, my hip is no longer mobile, but I need to provide mobility for a certain movement pattern. I'm going to ask my lower back or my knee to do something that it doesn't want to do. Mm. And if you notice, a lot of people with lower back problems tend to have very tight hips. Yeah, I fall into that that group. Yes. You know, when you sit all day, for sure, it becomes not, not because you sit all day, but you know, we, if you don't work it, we lose it type of thing. Yeah. And then lastly, you know, when you look at the upper back, the middle from the base of your spine, where that big bump is, let's say to the lower part of our rib cage, that's our thoracic spine. That's where all our rotation comes for tennis. And if that gets tight, then our lower back can start bothering us. Or that's when we start seeing shoulder problems. So foam rolling, stretching, uh, foam rolling, stretch, mobilizing. These are things that you can, you can perform. The foam rolling you can perform at the beginning of, of a session. I know for a lot of people that's very demanding because we don't have a lot of time. But I would highly recommend to foam rolling the bottom of your feet. There are, there's so, many, so much sensory um, information coming from our feet that the contact that we make with the ground, sending information up and down from our head to our feet is so important. That's what, that's what makes contact with the ground first. I would definitely work on that. Uh, the stretching at definitely at the end and the mobilization at the beginning of, of a, of a session. And then this is, this is just a, hmm, this is just solid. That's one of my favorite stretches, by the way. So the warm up. So we went over that. It's okay. So uh, I could try and bring it back, but it's not recording. That 90-90 stretch is really something that is that's important. But from there, I really, I really take in a lot of different things from yoga and, and some other type of, of mobility uh, people that I've seen online and construct something that I felt was very, very beneficial for tennis players and not just in terms of mobilizing, but also getting the heart rate going mm-hmm. and, and building a sweat prior to even uh, getting on court. And that, that mobility is part of my warm up. So here we see, you know, this is just um, <clears throat> some very easy, this is my dynamic. So off the floor and then we go into a dynamic warm up with knee hugs. And again, Lisa, I'm not recreating the wheel here or anything. Nope. This, is, this, is, this is pretty basic stuff. But I'd like for everyone to notice, and it's not because I'm doing it. A, I'm barefoot. I'm wearing socks. So I'm really trying to work on my feet. But when I'm doing it, I'm really, I really am paying attention to every movement. And this is where practice starts. This is, I can always tell the dedication of an athlete by how they do their warm-up. If you're just going through it, I'm sorry, I don't want to insult anybody, but this is what's going to keep you healthy. 
the, this well, type and of- that's what I was going to say. I mean, we see kids doing this stuff, but they do it with little to no intention. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of going through the motions without thinking about why they're doing it, what the benefit is and how it's preparing their body for training or competition, whatever day it is. And I think that's a big piece of this is, you know, when as parents, we harp on our kids to do these things, but if they're just going through the motions without Mm -hmm. intention, it's really not helping them. Yeah. No, listen, I agree with you hundred percent. And again, you know, one of the things we talked about at the beginning, 10 minute warm up, no less, no less. And our warm up is 10 minutes. Like there's two phases to our warm up. It's it's the mobility, the dynamic warm up plus our elastics for activation. I've gotten those three components down to 10 minutes. Then there's also the movement. But I don't mind if the athletes go on court and start with mini tennis and that's part of their movement and the coach is is just moving them around to get them used to to the court setting. Mm-hmm. I would say this stretch I'm doing here the world's greatest stretch if there's one stretch you could do, <laughs> this is it prior to getting on court. This pretty much nails everything. Yeah. And again, for those of you listening to this podcast, you are missing some really valuable information. So please, please, please come watch the video version on parentingaces.com or on our YouTube channel. 100%. So then we move on. Then we have our strength, uh, our strength. So speed and strength equals power. So we got to get, we really got to get stronger. And with tennis, one of the things is, yes, once you've introduced, you know, if you're working with young, um, young players, you know, eight to, tw- you know, eight to 10, 12 years old, yeah, we're, I'm not loading them up with big weights. What I am doing though, is I'm teaching them body weight exercises. And this exercise that I'm going to demonstrate here soon is a body weight exercise if I'm not holding the dumbbells, but I'm talking about squats, lateral lunges, split squats, um, reverse lunges. All those things are really important. You know, even using a TRX for rows and things like that, that's where it starts. But one thing that I would really, really recommend is that once you become proficient at those exercises and you start becoming a little older and you start going, you know, through, through your growth phase, we got to start working and looking at single leg training. Tennis, tennis is really played on one sport. Uh, I'm sorry, on one leg. So I, most of the athletes that we have at our club, it's all single leg training. We're not doing a lot of squats, you know, traditional squats. We're not doing a lot of uh, of those type of exercises. We're doing step-ups. We're doing this single leg RDL, um, you know, reverse lunges, lateral lunges, even, you know, a curtsy. Uh, we don't always want to think of tennis, uh, training in tennis in a straight line forward and back. We have to work side to side and in the transverse plane. And tennis is so much about balance, right? So this is a yes. way to integrate balance training. Well, <laughs> phenomenal. Very, very good. If you, if a lot of, a lot of the junior players can't even get into that position. First of all, they're having a yeah. very difficult time maintaining the balance on their single leg. And secondly, they don't have the flexibility or the mobility to get into that position. Mm-hmm. So that exercise is in my warm up. 
just so they become, it's like we practice that every day. So again, going back to the warm up, which people must just think I'm in love with the warm up 24 seven, but look at how much you're learning by doing lunges and squats and single leg exercises. It's just getting you better and setting a better foundation for the gym. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have lateral lunges and then the different types of lateral lunges that you can do coming out, coming to a single leg. Um, you know, this, 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 when you think about change of direction, when you think about developing rotational uh, power, this, this is where it comes from. You know, I'm watching that and I'm thinking of um, multiple videos I've seen of junior players being taught how to serve and being told to serve the ball and then stop with yep. the back leg up in the air. Yes. And to hold that position yes. and how many of them are just, you know, wobbling here and there and everywhere because yeah. they don't have the proprioception or the balance mm-hmm. to hold it. And so yeah. this is what's happening in this warm up. You're getting the brain and the body connected to be able to do all of this movement on the court when they're, when they have the racket in their hand and a ball's coming at them. Yeah, a hundred percent. Very well said. It, and it is, and they're building all those things plus the strength and the core strength that, that, that is so needed mm-hmm. for sure. Well said. Okay. So power using the ground to move. So like we said, from that picture, we're trying to use the power. So in our program, so the strength, the strength program, let me just back up a half a second here. So I think, I think junior players should be doing strength training two to three times a week. If you say you can get twice a week, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to even ask for three. I'm already happy as, as you know, what that I'm really excited about that. And it doesn't have to be any more than like 20 to 25 minutes. I don't even want to say 30 minutes because people are going to get scared. But if you do a full body program, If you go legs, upper body, core, legs, upper body, core, and you create a circuit of seven to eight exercises, let's say eight, right? And you do those eight exercises. Theoretically, each exercise should take around a minute to do. So let's say a circuit takes you 10 minutes or a little less. You should be able to get three circuits in, you know, three rounds of that in under 30 minutes. And that's only twice a week. Mm-hmm. And this can be done at home. If, if, if you buy the elastics um, that you'll, you know, you'll see some of the elastics that we use here, this stuff can be done at home. Also, you don't need a full gym. Anything can be molded or personalized to what the person has. I, I, I work with a lot of ITF players that are on the road and it's amazing. Sometimes the gyms look like these, you know, these four star hotels. And sometimes it's literally two mats and a, a, a stationary bike from 1962. So, <laughs> you know, so you, you, you know, hopefully, uh, you, you know, like you can always contact me. I, I've done this so many times that you can organize a plan anywhere. So developing power, we're trying to develop lateral power here. You'll notice that he's just giving me a little sidestep and driving off. And he's the, the elastic is providing some extra resistance. Mm-hmm. This is this is something that takes do this twice each side for six to seven reps. This takes how long? Two minutes. 
I mean, this is the beauty of it. Lateral power. Now, this is getting a little bit. She's she's at the University of Miami uh, at Ohio. So this is a little bit more advanced. I wouldn't start off junior players with this. But these are some of the drills that we can implement for power. So if we're going to say we're going to do strength training for 20 to 25 minutes twice a week, I would like to see some type of lateral or some type of power development 10, 10 minutes a week. So it doesn't have to be done in all, in all the same day. And then we can start performing some lateral power with movement and incorporating. Look at this. Look how efficient she becomes at pushing off when she initiates that first shuffle to either side. She's learning how to use the ground to create force and not only using the ground to create force, how to be stable. Notice how beautifully and her body's just staying nicely stable and, and moving with such ease. This is what gymnasts do, right? They, they use the ground to provide the power to push off to do flips and twists course, and all those things course. right yeah any any sport any sport actually i mean if we look at all rotational sports whether it's uh baseball golf or even a quarterback they have to use the ground and For it's sure. really essential to create um to create that timing from the ground up I mean, I remember watching a, a special on Josh Allen, who's the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. And his first year after being with the Bills, they had video of him, how his upper body comes through, but the hips hadn't finished coming through and how he was losing about five to 10% of his power and accuracy. So it's not just about becoming stronger. It's by it's by using the kinetic chain and having that sequencing effect happen exactly the way we want it. Because it's mm -hmm. not always the biggest person that has the biggest shot. It's also that that perfect timing. If we look at Tiger Woods, who was one of the biggest drivers, you know, in history. Uh, yeah, he worked out, but he wasn't that big of a man like a, a John Daly or something. So this is what we want to look at. And then another one, a little more lateral power. Again, this is a little more advanced. She does this really well. She makes it look really easy. This she sure not, does. It's, <laughs> oh my it's, it's not easy. It's really not oh. easy to do. But, you know, she's a phenomenal athlete. I, I'm very proud to say I worked with her probably for five years uh, prior to leaving uh, to university. So again, let me just reiterate, 20 to 25 minutes for our strength training, we're looking at 10 minutes for our power development. Now, here's the thing. You need to do something in between the power exercises. You're not going to do one plyometric after another, one jump. You need at least about a minute to a minute in a half to recover. You have two options. We can throw a med ball, which you could consider training for upper body power and rotational power, or you can do corrective exercises, whether it's rotational exercises for the upper body or some type of, you know, ankle mobility. So I think that's really important to keep in mind. Movement, something that I just absolutely love talking about working with the athletes. And the reason why I put on this, um, this slide is I remember being at a conference years ago where someone said, you know, I don't know why uh, fitness coaches work linear speed or why they teach running. Well, to me, this, this, this kind of explains it. I mean, 
Andy Murray is a great on-court mover, uh, even with the hip problem, but he did a lot of track work and it shows right here. I mean, those are great lines. I mean, his arms, even though he's holding a racket, he's still sprinting for the ball. So we work on linear speed three to four times a week. I'll tell you what, I put it in the warm-up for all our kids. Even though we do some during practice, all I'm asking for is give me four sprints, 10 meters, singles line to singles line. That's it. But sprint your tush off, you know, sprint it off. If you want to become faster, run fast. That's simple. You know, yes, we can correct. We can get a lot of the mechanics better. But especially if you just practice running fast, that is probably the, the biggest takeaway on linear speed I can give. And the, what we want to watch is that first step when we're moving. And I think this is, this is something, it's just for parents to maybe take some video, have the coaches take some video and watch the movement at slow at a slower pace. Because sometimes it's not easy to see if you don't have a trained eye. So you'll notice her when she starts running, watch, watch the left leg, how it just gives a big cycle like she's on a bike, right? That's not very efficient when we're talking about moving forward. But after doing a few exercises, I just backed it up there. Now you'll notice the difference of that leg driving forward. And you also notice the distance that she's able to acquire moving forward. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you don't move forward or side to side properly on that first, first step, you're already behind the game. And, and something like 0.25 of a second can be the difference between hitting the ball, not in the sweet spot or hitting it in the sweet spot. So this is something we work a lot on, on not just being powerful and quick, but being efficient with our, our movement. So linear movement, athletic, active position. We want them being ready, you know, in a good athletic stance. You know, there's being an athletic stance, looking like you're waiting for a bus. And then there's being an athletic stance, looking like you're hungry, wanting to get whatever is going to be put in front of you. And then working first step, working both feet, obviously, using an elastic, and you can switch up the sprints. I mean, I wouldn't go any further than 20 meters because that rarely happens on a court. Yeah, true. It's so funny. I heard a coach years ago describe tennis. He said, you know, everybody thinks of tennis as being a racket sport, but it's not. It's a movement sport. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because if you can't get to the ball, it doesn't matter. Right, that's You're just right. Watching it go by, you're, you're never going to hit it. That's right. Doesn't matter your how great your forehand is. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Nobody will know. Yeah, it'll just be a rumor floating around the courts. He has a good yeah. forehand, but we've or she has a good forehand. We've never seen it though. <laughs> and then, if we're talking lateral movement, and I think this is this is one of the things that for me in the last two years has been truly eye-opening and really focusing on this lateral movement on being more, watch the lead foot, what she does there. Did you, did you see that? How she double taps that left foot, she taps it and then taps it again. Mm -hmm. Now you may be asking why that's happening. It could just be bad mechanics. It could be because she's lacking that external rotation of the hip to get it there. And she has to do something else. Oddly enough, she did it. She did it with both feet. 
So when when we're trying, you know, and people are like, wow, this must take a lot to 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 really um, correct this. We did a little bit of mobility work. This this is this is this happened this day. We did a little bit of mobility work, and then I just I, I asked her. I said, Sherry, you know, just lean, step, drive, and just lean, step, and drive, and then you'll notice. Same day. Mm. Same day we, we were able to clean that up and it got better. Now, what I did was I said, hey, you know what? Part of your warm up, I want you to do this every day before getting on court. I want you to split step, rotate that foot outward, cross over, cross over back. Now, she's working on a specific skill that's going to help her, but it's also a skill that's extremely important to tennis. Like every athlete needs to know how to cross over properly. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you don't, then it, again, we're not going to get to the point that we want to get to. Mm -hmm. Lateral movement, driving off the outside leg. We can work with elastics. We can shuffle with elastic crossover. You know, it's funny. The crossover word, I think uh, that's misspelled, by the way. Um, I've looked at this slide a million times. First time I ever noticed it. Um, <laughs> The funny thing with the cross, it's really not a crossover, a true crossover, right? Because we're turning the hips, we're keeping the body more towards the net. It's, it's, I want people to think of it more as a, a of a side run, you know, with, okay. with, with, with the body that's been, you know, learning to separate the upper body from the lower body because our feet are not pointing towards the net when we're crossing over. We have to literally tilt them to the side we're going to, which will really help the mobility of our hips. Because if we keep our feet forward, and that's a really easy thing to do, just stand an athletic stance, both feet forward, cross your left foot over the right, see how far you go. Now take your left foot, turn it out to the left, then turn, turn your right foot out to the right, sorry, take your left foot, cross it over, and just see how much further you go. It makes yeah. a world of difference. <clears throat> and then the pull, the pull away and towards, you know, elastics, everybody works elastics with the athlete going away from them. I think it's equally important to work with the elastic coming towards the, the coach. So okay. that really one really focuses on the, the explosiveness of the exercise. And the other one really focuses on the change of direction, which I think is really important. And then the hip turns a uh, little hard to demonstrate uh, you know, without a video, but that's really disassociation of the upper body and the lower body. Change of direction. So here she is again, and simple exercise, Lisa, but I'm telling you, this is money. To be able to do this with, with an eight pound med ball and change directions efficiently and smile and do it at the same time um, is really wonderful. And these, these are some of the exercises that I implement every, every week, every two weeks with, with our group. And I don't care what level of player you are. I think that this could be good for anybody that's having uh, perhaps a bit of a problem with their change of direction. Mm-hmm. And I love that yeah. the fact that she holds the position at the very end for just a yes. split second, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just challenging. Just demonstrate. Yeah. Challenging the stability a hundred percent. And then, you know, when we're talking about change of direction. We're talking about athleticism. Listen, three cones doesn't have to be three cones. It could be three pairs of socks. 
Don't use tennis balls. Oh my God. I saw some coach online put three tennis balls down and had the athlete going over them. It is just an accident waiting to happen because they will step on these cones or hurdles or socks or whatever it is. That's, that's instant, you know, to the ER and cast type of thing. So this, this is a fun exercise that she does well, jumping back, coming back. So we're working really quickness here, change of direction, some power. Again, these, these movement exercises, Lisa can be done two to three times a week, you know, and 15 minutes, as Mm -hmm. long as you're efficient, it's, it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a long time to do them. It just, as long as you do them with good rest periods, because we don't want our speed, we don't want our movement exercises becoming conditioning drills. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that, that is, that's really important. If, if your athlete is in front of you and they're sucking air and you're trying to teach a skill, we're definitely losing. We are losing what we're trying to teach because they need to be, I would say pretty, if not fully fresh prior to going into the exercise. That's a great point, Dean. Really great point. So a rule of thumb is if a drill takes you, let's say, you know, drills, and again, the length of the drill, I think it's really important. I try to mimic the length of the drills to, to the length of, of a, of, um, you know, a rally. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at around, I know rallies are much shorter, but we're looking, I don't go much longer than 10 seconds. 10 is probably the, the outside number. They're going to need minimum. 20, I'm saying 20, some, I know some coaches are listening or shrieking, probably has to be 30 to 40 seconds recovery, you know, depending if it's early on in, in the training, they could probably go a little quicker as you go on rest periods are probably going to have to go on a little further. That's for sure. Yeah. One of the important aspects that I really wanted to touch on this evening also was the difference between change of direction and agility. You know, you, you see, um, coaches, putting out ladders or putting out a bunch of cones where, where the athlete knows where to go or knows what the sequence of events is going to go and call, call it agility that unfortunately that's incorrect. Um, Change of direction is when you have, you know, a bunch of cones. And I, I, if I was to tell Catherine prior to, to this drill, I'd say, okay, I want you to go to white, yellow, white, purple, that's change of direction. Okay. Agility requires some type of cognitive, aspect of it. She doesn't know where she's going to go prior to the event happening. So what we do is there's different type of, we use auditory cues. So I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but I'm, I'm calling out colors here. So I said, yellow, purple, and she's reacting to my voice. And it's just a good reaction drill to work on. There's nothing wrong with it. Some people might say, well, this isn't very representative of tennis. And I would tend to agree with you, although it does make it fun. Um, The the, especially the younger athletes, you know, I put out a bunch of different colors, even put numbers to it. So, you know, I'll say yellow, purple, but maybe purple's one and yellow's two and white is three. And I can throw in numbers at the same time. Mm. And what the kids really, really love is when I make a box. And we number the cones and we start doing math. So cones one, two, three, four. And then we start going one plus one, 
seven minus five, and that becomes fun. And I, I find whenever you can get athletes that are smiling and having a great time, they're learning, you know, uh, and, and we're challenging them, you know, mentally also. Sure. Because uh, yeah, which is really important. Because let's face it, tennis is a very cerebral. Game. Yeah, <clears throat> I learned that lesson today in my match. <laughs> oh, did you? How'd that go? Yes, I, not well. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's okay. <laughs> and then you know the agility with visual cues, and this this is where I think one of my biggest shifts this year uh, in coaching has come with visual cues and partnering up the athletes one-on-one having them do mirror drills or reacting to the face of a racket. And you'll notice we've, we decided that if I do this movement, it's going to the back. If it's this type of movement, it's this cone. So she's reacting to me. Cause I think that's one of the, that's so important because I've seen so many young athletes that test well whether in a 10 meter sprint or in the five, 10, five, and then get on the court and not be that same athlete. Mm. You know, they're a great athlete, but they get on the court and why are they not getting to the drop shots? Why are they having balls get by them on the forehand and the backhand side? Yeah. Interesting. And, and I've never seen anybody do that, Dean. I think that's, that's really interesting because you're right. You have to be able to read where the ball's coming you don't, you can't wait till it bounces to start going for it. No, no, it's a little late. And and the great thing about this, again, this can be done in warmup, you know, hopefully there's more than one person warming up in your group and, and you just, you just mirror each other. Okay. If you go back, I go back. If you go forward, you go to left, I mirror you. And that competition already starts, starts getting the, the, the brain chemistry and, and the nervous system firing up that when practice comes around, you have an athlete in front of you that's competed and that is driven to perform already, as opposed to taking the first five, 10, 15 minutes of practice to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the idea that this all needs to be done before the lesson starts, before the group starts, right? This is, yeah. this is on the athlete to take care of it prior to the paid time with the coach. Yeah, I listen, uh, 100%. If the athlete can get this done 15 to 20 minutes prior to practice, God bless you. And if you can't, then then try and find a couple of times a week, minimum to three, even four. I know it's getting to be too much, but three times a week, 15 minutes, just working on these small movements. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what, if you do it three times a week and it's 10 minutes, that's 30. And I said this on our last, last time together, that's 30 minutes in a week. Guess what? In, in a month, you're looking at two hours of extra, extra movement training. Don't tell me that's not going to be effective. Right. And then, you know, we do some on-court training too, with a med ball movement with throwing. And again, this, what she's doing here is pretty high stuff and she does it very well. And then, you know, we put into practice right away. If you, jeez, oh I love watching her head. Um, it still makes, still makes my day. But if you can practice throwing a med ball and practice your movement drills and then put that into practice on a court, that is the win-win of wins. Sure. You know, and then the last thing, and I hope I haven't taken up too much time. Here. No, we're good. We're good. 
okay, is the recovery. And, you know, I just see this all too often get off the court and this, this is for every age, um, get off the court and leave the club and sit in the car. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we have to become a lot smarter and, you know, recovery has to happen every day after practice. There's just no cutting angles on this. And again, 10 minutes, please. You know, the stretching, the, the the foam rolling, the stretching, taking care of your body. Pay, pay the price now, as opposed to paying weeks or, or a month off later. You know, it, it kills me every time. And I, I say this with such sincerity that when, when I have an athlete that is injured, first of all, annoys the, the, the hell out of me. Secondly, they come back with similar or if not the same exercises that they were supposed to be doing to avoid this problem. Mm-hmm. And this is what we want to look and we look at, you know, we look at foam rolling. It's it's just rolling calves, you know, and you see some other tools around me. I have the ball, which is a lacrosse ball. There's the stick, the traveling stick, which is really, really important. And then I chose this stretch, which is the hip flexor stretch, because I think, Lisa, the hip flexor stretch might be one of the stretches that is um, – butchered the most and not done very properly. You see people really arching their back. You'll notice that my back stays straight during this. This is a myofascial stretch of the hip flexor. So involving the entire body from toes to the fingers and really getting a phenomenal stretch through there. And if you can start implementing um, a well-rounded um recovery program of foam rolling, stretching, hydration and nutrition and sleep. That's money. Cause I get, I'm a lot so of glad questions. you added sleep. I'm so oh, glad listen, you put that you know, in. Is, uh, I'm, I'm happy huge. you're happy. It's so huge because even, even the research shows that, and I, I think I'm going to be pretty close on this, that especially for the young juniors, you know, between the ages of 12 and 16, that get less than, it's between eight and 10 hours sleep. When you're getting closer to six hours sleep, injuries increase almost twofold. Yeah. And that's just lack of sleep. So, you know, this time of year always makes me slightly nervous because I know the kids are going into exams. They're more stressed. They're not eating well. They're sleeping less. We have to be smarter as coaches to adapt our training to that, which is a whole nother topic onto ourselves. And I get asked so many questions about, you know, what about the Theragun and what about this? And and what about that? And it's like, yeah, that's the, you know, ice, that's, that's good. That's good. But if you're not doing this stuff, the other stuff doesn't matter. Like the sleep is probably number one. Yeah. Yeah. Love that you said that. All right, Dean, all your contact info is up on the screen. We right will there. also have it in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So um, for those of you who have questions or need some clarification, Dean is incredibly responsive. He's on Instagram. He's on Facebook. Um, he's got some amazing videos that he posts on Instagram on a regular basis. So uh, you're at underscore baseline power underscore and um please follow him and get some creative information and ideas and have your kids follow him yeah Yeah. now now if if i could have one last minute now for the big announcement yes yes what i decided this year i've never done this before i'm extremely
extremely excited about it. And as I said at the beginning, 2022, I want it to be the best year for everybody. I mean, obviously not just on the court, but health-wise, um, especially with all the stuff that we've been going through uh, in the world. But for, for the junior tennis players, I am having a 10-week course. We're going to meet every Sunday starting, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it's January 17th will be our first one for 75 minutes where I'm going to give everybody in that hour the exercises you're supposed to do for the week, the warm-up, the, the plyos, the jumps, the strength training, the stretching, and we're going to build on that together and, and really see what we can develop in 10 weeks and further and the big thing is there's only 10 spots. I, I want it to be a small, intimate group. I want us to, to discuss things online. I'm going to evaluate everyone's movement. I'm going to receive videos. We're going to look at them together. It'll be a great growing learning experience. And I hope, um, you know, I hope people think it's just as good as I do. I'm sure they will. And, and you didn't mention the fact that it is virtual. So it is yes. available to you regardless of where in the world you are. You don't have to be in Canada with Dean. You can be no. anywhere and Thank join you. in. Yeah. Yeah. Just go to principal movements, uh, principal movements.com. And it's under the 10 week course. I'm going to tape it. It'll be available for a full week. So let's say you can't make it one day, not a problem. It's up. You'll be able to follow it for the week and every week it'll be fresh new information. I love it. Dean, I thank you again so much for coming on. You are always just so full of great information, practical information, actionable information for the Parenting Aces community. And I, I feel so lucky that I met you all those years ago at the WTCA yeah. conference and yes. that we've stayed in touch because you really are such a valuable asset to junior tennis players and, and beyond. But you know, for parenting aces purposes, uh, to the junior players and their families. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us and share your energy and your passion and your knowledge once again. Uh, I, I mean, I'm speechless. Thank you so much. I really appreciate those kind words. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm getting uh, goosebumps and everything from it. And thank you for everything you do. I know it's, it's very appreciated and uh, wishing everybody an amazing 2022. Absolutely. To my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, buy a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.